This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Man, today we begin a new sermon series that I'm I'm calling "No Longer Slaves," and I don't know honestly. I don't know when I have been more stoked, more excited, more pumped about a series as this one. But at the same time, I don't know when I have been filled with more terror. Yeah, I know that's a strong, strong word, but I've been filled with fear and terror because this topic is so big and bad and deep and complex, way above my pay grade and way beyond my IQ level. But here's what I've done. I've consulted a lot of resources to help walk us through this. I think at one time I had seven different study books on my desk, as well as I went to other online resources, not to mention that I've asked my Heavenly Father for wisdom. He happens to be the one who directed the mind and the quill of the Apostle Paul, who is credited with writing this book. So this is going to be a team effort, and um, I'll just tell you, I have been working on this for about a year, Uh, and so just thinking about this from time to time, and, and I am fully expecting the power of God's Word to change us during this series. We have a lot to cover. Let's, let's roll. To get us headed in the right direction, I want to make a very pointed statement and tell you something about yourself. I, I have been observing you. I've been studying you, some of you, for, for quite a few years now, some of you not so long. But I, uh, here's what I've observed about you you have a problem. You, my friend, have a big problem. Um, And I do too. And, And our problem is not our boss, it's not our spouse, it's not any other person that gets under our skin. In fact, the problem with our problem is that most of us know we have a problem, but we don't know the cause of the problem. Let me say that again. The problem with our problem is that most of us know we have a serious problem, but we don't know what it is. We don't know the cause of the problem. And so what happens is that in our efforts to fix the problem, we go into a guessing game, and and we try to fix the problem with medication or or counseling or or more self-discipline or jail time, behavior modification and I believe in those. There's a place for all of those. Don't misunderstand me here, but many times the problem never gets solved because we're treating symptoms only because, again, we don't understand the problem. You know, it's kind of like what we men do when it comes to a problem with our car. And most of us as men, we like to pretend that we know how to fix a car. It's in our DNA. I don't know why it is, but when it comes to car engines, we feel that our manhood is tied to being able to know how to fix a car. So if a car has a problem, here's what we do. And, and ladies, I'm letting you in, a, a, in on a secret that has never before been revealed in the history of mankind. But we men, here's what we do. You know, we will pull the latch, pop the hood, stare at the engine, pretend that we're thinking through the problem. And then here's what we say. We say, You know, I I used to be able to work on cars, but then they started putting them, their computers, and them, and and, and I just can't work on them, their cars anymore. But the truth is that most of us, including me, we didn't have a clue before they started putting computers in them. (laughs) 
So, so this is tough for me to admit, but I'll just say it. My mechanical ability is, is pretty limited. I can put gas in a car. And even though I struggled with that a year or two ago, we as a church got a 15-passenger transit van. And, and before mountain climb in Colorado, I was going to make sure that it was topped off with, with, with gas. But for the life of me, I couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out how to pop that little door to get the nozzle in. And, and I looked for a latch. I looked for a button. It wasn't there. And there I am at the gas station just trying to study this thing out. But, but thankfully, because I am so smart, it only took me 10 minutes to figure out that you have to open the driver's door and then slip your finger behind it and then pop it out. But anyway, most of the time I can put in gas, I can air up tires, I can change out a battery. I, I've done few minor things such as change the oil, change out a water pump, put in a couple of clutches. I, I want you to be kind of impressed with me here, but... You know, when Faith and I were still dating, Faith owned the 1980 Ford Mustang. I, I wish she still had that car. That, that Mustang was a little hot car for a hot chick. <laughs> and, and that car had a standard transmission. And Faith, for some reason, I, I don't know why, but she went through clutches. I think she must have popped the clutch every every time she got in it and trying to pop a wheelie. I don't know, but she or she probably drove the car like like Jehu in the Old Testament. Remember, he drove like a madman, and so I think she was driving it like a mad woman. But but anyway, while I was still trying to impress her, she'd say, "Oh, Joe, my clutch is out." So I was trying to do the boyfriend thing, and and uh, I ended up putting two different clutches in that hot car for that hot chick, and but it worked. And so I'll just tell you guys, uh, maybe you just need to put a clutch in a car for your girlfriend and win her love. But I know I went way off on a rabbit trail, but what I'm trying to say is that many times when we uh, try to solve a problem, we get into a guessing game, not, not only with just fixing cars, but trying to fix us. And we treat symptoms instead of the real problem. And here's the deal for you. Many of you, you've been trying to solve you for a long time. In fact, some of you have spent money trying to solve you. Some of your spouses have sent you to a counselor to solve you because they said either you get help or get out because you're a mess and I'm tired of living with a mess and I ain't going to do it any longer. Some of you have lost jobs because you haven't been able to solve something about you. Some of you have lost marriages you haven't been able to solve something about you. Some of you have lost a lot of money, a, a lot of sleep, a lot of time, your self-esteem, your, your reputation, maybe a relationship with a child or a parent because there's something going on in you and it needs to be solved, but you can't quite figure out what the problem is. And I say you, but it's really us. I'm right there with you. So what we're going to do in this series, No Longer Slaves, we're going to go to the very root of your problem, my problem. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans tells us what the problem is. And, and during this scripture, we're going to, or during this series, we're going to go through a section of scripture that preachers typically use in what I call hit and run fashion. You know, they'll be preaching along and, and, and they'll grab one of these difficult verses and they'll lob it out there and then quickly retreat to scriptures that are safer and easier to understand. But as, but as I've been praying, I felt that we needed more than a hit and run approach. And we need to spend a few weeks on some of 
the most powerful truths that are foundational for us being able to break free from slavery to sin. And so my prayer leading up to this series has been that we can say, as as the name of this series says, and as Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says, we're no longer slaves to sin. I would urge you, and I know this is springtime, we run here and there, but I would urge you to try to be here every Sunday if possible for the next few weeks. To begin with, I want to read a few verses from Romans 7, and, and these verses will talk about Paul's problem, which most of us will be able to say, his problem is my problem, his story is my story. Here's what Romans seven fifteen says, I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody relate? Paul Paul is saying, it's almost like I've got a split personality. You know, there's a, here's what I ought to do side to me. And if I would do what I ought to do, I'd be healthier. I wouldn't be addicted. I would be a better husband, a better father, a better Christian. But, But the other side of me, unfortunately, is that I don't do what I know I should do. And I know I shouldn't curse. But when I get mad, I do. I know I shouldn't lie, but sometimes to save my skin, I do. I know I shouldn't smoke or or snort or shoot up or or drink or swallow certain pills. But when I get stressed, I do. It's almost like I'm spiritually bipolar. I've got two sides to me. Well, Paul continues, and you can almost sense his frustration here in Romans 7 verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. And Paul is saying, you know, I feel like a complete failure. I can't do anything right. I'm no good. I'm a mess. He says, nothing good lives in me. That, That is in my sinful nature. And then to make us understand how serious our problem is, he repeats what he said three verses earlier. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. So, here is the million-dollar question. Are you ready? Why why don't we just do what we know we're supposed to do? Serious. I mean, why don't we eat right? Cut the carbs, cut the sugar, cut the gluten, cut the caffeine, cut the red meat and the salt. You know, if anything, anything tastes good, just spit it out because it's probably not healthy if it tastes good. You know, if we would eat right, it would cut out the majority of our visits to a doctor because most of our health issues are eating related. By the same token, hey, why don't we just quit our addictions? Just Stop. You know, we know that if we would quit smoking, we'd be healthier. If we quit drinking, we'd be healthier. So why, why don't we just quit? Why don't we quit saying bad words? They say that a filthy mouth is a sign of an empty head. And it used to be mainly that men, they would be the ones that would cuss like sailors. But word on the street is that some ladies here in this community, in fact, some in this church, I won't mention your names, But you've gained the reputation that you can stay up with the best of men, or maybe the worst of men, whatever, when it comes to four-letter words. Why why don't we just quit saying bad words? 
And then, why don't we quit looking at pornography? You know, we know that stuff just pollutes our minds, it wrecks our relationships, and afterwards we never feel good about ourselves. You know, we never say, well, well, I looked at pornography and that made me feel so fulfilled. No, we feel dirty, unclean. We hate ourselves for it. So, why, why don't we just stop? You know, if we would just do what we already know is right, we wouldn't need an authority to say, don't speed, or do fasten your seatbelt, and do stop at the stop sign, but don't speed up when the light turns yellow. You know, if we would do what we already know is right, we wouldn't need another self-help book. And by the way, do you know how many wacky self-help books there are? Here are a few of the more interesting titles that I've personally come across. Here's one. Simplify your life in 6,486 steps. And that's just volume one. Here's another one of my favorite ones. Getting over your goldfish. And actually, I probably should have bought this book years ago. Just a little personal story here. 14 years ago, we had a goldfish, and one of our daughters, and I got permission to mention her name, uh, but on a vacation to uh, California, we had already left the house, we're on our way, and we found out that our daughter, Becca, had put her goldfish named Tristan in a Tupperware container, brought him along on vacation. On that vacation, we probably traveled 5,000 miles. We went to Yosemite National Park, and it was freezing cold there. And then we went to Death Valley National Park, and it was smoking hot there. And would you believe that Tristan, the goldfish, lived through all of that? 5,000 miles of traveling from below freezing to above 100 degrees. Tristan was one tough dude. That's not the end of the story yet. We got back home, and Becca left to take some summer courses in Florida, and so the care of that goldfish was passed on to her father, who was a very responsible man. (laughs) A few days later, I made the horrible mistake of filling the water too high in that little fishbowl, and little Tristan, bless his heart, he jumped out. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but most fish don't do very well outside of water. And by the time I found little Tristan lying on the floor, he was too far gone to even perform CPR on him, and he was pronounced dead on arrival. Bless his memory. But but all of that to say that my daughter took the news very hard and still has trouble forgiving me, and uh, still emotionally disturbed, and and this is the truth, and you're going to laugh at this. After 14 years, we still have little Tristan in the freezer in a little baggie his little frozen body preserved until the day of resurrection. (laughs) And so I probably should have gotten that book, Getting Over Your Goldfish, to my daughter. But Okay, how about this self-help book, How to Win Friends and Influence People with Force. New twist. Here's another one. This is an actual title of a book. Have you tried lying? This was the number one bestseller 
Self-improvement even when caught in a lie. Here's another one. Your guide to confidence. Snort your way to success today. This one is crazy. How to unlearn Spanish. Why would you want to unlearn Spanish? This one is intriguing to me. Denny may want this one. Headbutting a cougar and other survival skills. How about this one? How to get millions of idiots to buy your book. And then the last one, Overcoming Hoarding, book one of 5,720. You can find a self-help book on anything. But anyway, why don't we just do what we know we should do? I mean, can you imagine how great of a church we would be if we would just do what we already know we're supposed to do? We could come to church, sing a couple of cool songs, and I'd get up and my sermons would be short. In fact, I could just write them on the palm of my hand and, and say, well, guys, you know what? I don't have anything to get on to you about this week. You're doing great. You're keeping your nose clean. You're reaching people for Christ. You're giving your full tithe and being a great representative of Jesus. And, and so let's just stand and be dismissed. And we could have a service that would last less than 15 minutes. Wouldn't that be cool? But you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Why don't we do that? You know, we can train our dogs, but not train us. And we can housebreak our dogs, but not housebreak us. I mean, I was taking a little bit too far, but something is wrong with you. And something is wrong with me. Okay, so Paul's problem is that he wants to do good, but he can't. can't. But now, let's jump back, backtrack to Romans chapter 5. And that will tell us how Paul came to have a problem, which tells you how you got your problem. Let's jump in at verse 6, Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, remember Paul's problem was he felt powerless, said, I want to, but I don't, I don't want to, but I do. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, here's our first little speed bump. Paul just called you ungodly. What do you think of that? You know, we normally don't walk around calling each other ungodly. In fact, we don't even call ourselves ungodly. Instead, what do we prefer to say? We say, well, I'm not perfect. But it's much worse than just not being perfect. Paul said, we're ungodly. So, so why don't you just bless your neighbor right now and turn to them and, uh, and just tell them you're ungodly. Just go ahead and do it right now. And if you're watching online, just do that right now. If you're listening on the radio, just do that right now. Go ahead and bless your neighbor. Say, you are ungodly. That was a lot of fun for some of you. Paul's not done offending us. Because in verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So verse 6, Paul called you ungodly. I know that hurt your feelings, crushed your self-esteem. Three verses later, he's getting in deeper weeds. He calls you a sinner. So now you're not just ungodly. You're an ungodly sinner. Well, the question comes up then, what makes us ungodly? Is it because of what we have done? Well, in verse 12, Paul answers that question and takes us into one of the most amazing nuggets, golden nuggets in all of the New Testament. Now, I'm really excited to share this with you because this will answer the question of why we do bad even though we want to do good. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin, now 
pay attention to the word sin. Just as sin entered the world through one man. Now, that's huge. Paul is essentially saying in this verse, I want you to think of sin as a noun. Some of you need to come back, okay? Think of sin as a noun, not a verb. This is huge. This is not grammar class, but Paul is saying think of sin as a noun. And and what is a noun? Well, in school we learned that a noun is a person, place, or thing. Remember that? Now, we normally think of sin as a verb. And what is a verb? A verb describes action. You know, I lied, I, I, I stole, I cursed, I cheated, I lusted. Those are verbs. And, and so we typically look at sin as an action, a verb, and it is. But in the Scripture, Paul is wanting you to think of sin not as a verb, not as an action, not as something you did wrong, but rather as a noun. He wants you to think of sin as a thing. He wants you to think of sin as a power. And again, hang with me because this has the potential to transform our lives. You know, once upon a time, there was no sin in the world. So how did sin enter the world? Well, Paul told us that it entered the world through one man. You know, kind of like the COVID virus, even though I I don't think they've officially determined for sure, but there are several different theories how the COVID virus started. Many of you, you're experts in your own rights there, I guess, and you've got your own opinions, but one of the theories is that the virus came from an infected bat. Another theory is that it escaped from a science lab, and then others feel it was a political virus started by the Republicans or the Democrats. And regardless how this virus originated, here's the bottom line. These were the numbers worldwide as of April 7th, four days ago, There were over 132 million confirmed cases, nearly 3 million deaths, not to mention that there were many more cases that were asymptomatic, never reported or confirmed. And supposedly, I found this interesting, the deaths in our own country have lowered the average life expectancy of Americans by almost a full year. But here's my point. This virus that has essentially impacted every part of the world, even Antarctica, I read this, that There were 36 Chilean researchers. They were doing research there in Antarctica. They tested positive for COVID. But anyway, more than likely, this virus originated from one source, maybe one animal, maybe one science lab. Not sure we'll ever know. So by the same token, Paul is saying that sin entered the world through through one source, through one man named Adam. And and again, Paul in this passage is, is not referring to sin as a verb or an action, but Paul is referring to sin as a noun. It's a power that expresses itself in verbs. It expresses itself in, in many different sinful acts. But in this verse, Paul is talking about sin as a noun. So if you want to know the root of your problem, if you want to know why you want to but can't seem to, you need to understand this doctrine of sin. And one of the reasons perhaps that we haven't been able to change us, and we've wanted to but we haven't been able to change us, is because we've simply addressed sin as a verb. 
We, we've addressed sin as the wrong things we've done. You know, the lies, the lust, the stealing, the bad words. But we've never dealt with sin as a noun, a power that has been passed down to every human being since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, what happened after sin came into the world? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So death followed sin. You've experienced this. If, you've got, if you have a bad habit, if you have an addiction, you have seen the death that follows your sin. You know, sin kills relationships. Sin kills marriages. Sin kills our finances. Sin kills careers. Sin kills joy. Sin kills our health. Paul says that wherever sin goes, death follows right behind it. Let me uh, try to summarize this with an illustration that's not original with me. You might have seen it before, but it really just kind of simplifies this concept. And if you're listening on, on radio, then sorry, you're going to miss out on this. Um, maybe you can go to the website and, and catch this later on. In these verses that we're studying, Paul is saying, once upon a time, there was just Adam. Adam was the first man. I think we're in agreement there. So, um, Adam sinned. I don't think there's any doubt. We all agree on this. Adam sinned. And since we're all related to Adam, what Adam did, we did. His sin was passed down to us. But it started with Adam. And so let's, uh, let's take humanity right, how, right here. And uh, you probably can't see it, but this has Adam's name on it. This is Adam right here. So uh, Adam sinned. We'll put him here. Uh, I guess I'll be the next one. This has my name on it. This is me. I was born in sin. I'm right there. Um, this has my wife's name on it. And actually, let's just put her right here. Uh, <laughs> buy me a little bit of time to maybe put her in, put, put it, be in good graces with her. Um, these are my two, two girls, Erica and Becca, born in sin. I could tell you some stories. Talk to me afterwards. Um, this is my son-in-law, Gabe. Gabe's a pretty good guy. You rarely ever hear him say a word, but I, I think his parents would still say that he was born in sin. Put him right there. Uh, here are my two, uh, two, two grandkids, this is Claire and, and, and Jace. Oh, they are so sweet when they're asleep. Um, and, and sometimes when they're awake as well. Definitely born in sin. Um, how about Billy Graham? What an amazing man uh, of God born in sin. Uh, Mother Teresa. You know, I don't know of anybody that has actually shown more love for the marginalized than Mother Teresa. 
born in sin. Um, let's just kind of look at some of you here. Dave, born in sin. Quentin, you think Quentin was born in sin? Uh, and Leah's saying, yes. Um, Quentin, was Leah born in sin? He's, he's being very wise there. He's just smiling. Um, Jeremy Barger, you think we ought to put Jeremy in here? How about Cody? Martin, for sure, Jay Martin goes in here. Um, who else? Uh, Jared, yeah, for sure. Um, how about Sherry? Yeah, for sure, Sherry needs to be in there. You know, all of mankind born in sin, in sin, in sin. Sin, sin, sin. Still got my wife here. Sorry, hon. You're amazing. I love you, but I got to put you in here. Just as sin contaminated Adam, sin contaminated the entire human race. Now, what does this mean? And this is huge. When I began to understand this, I'm serious. It was like, oh, my word. Oh, my word. But what this means is that your main problem is not your sinning. Your main problem isn't sin, the verb, you know, the acts of sin that you keep committing, the lying, the cheating, the the cursing, the lusting. Of course, these are all a problem, but they are not the problem. You want to know the problem? It's sin, the noun, the, the problem, your problem, my problem, our problem is that we were born a sinner, and it's not because of anything we did. It's because we're related to Adam. And that's why no one has to teach us to sin. At about three months, we begin to see a little sin in that little tyke. Then it becomes more pronounced at six months. Then it hits a new level at two years. You know that cute little booger that we've called our little angel? Oh, my little angel, over and over. Something happens, and and that two-year-old begins to terrorize the human race. And we're like, what happened to them? I, I remember when she was so sweet, just smile and melt my heart. Well, now she just bit your finger and took a chunk out of it. We said, I don't know what's gotten into her. Paul says, I do. Sin. It's been there the whole time. Maybe it just started to come out. That sin is bad. That sin is ugly. And it will only get worse. Well, Paul now begins to draw a contrast and and, and try to stay with me here. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, but the gift. Now, he hasn't talked about a gift so far. What, What gift is he talking about? Well, the gift is the gift of a right standing with God, the gift of justification where God looks at you and says, yes, you were a horrible sinner. But now you can be completely forgiven. It's as if you had never sinned. So, But the gift is not like the trespass. What's the trespass? Well, the trespass was the sin of Adam in the garden. 
The condemned all men says, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, you know, we all ended up in sin and died because of the one trespass of Adam. How much more? And this is so powerful. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? In other words, just because we sinned and we were all born in Adam, when we decide to follow Christ, we're taken out of Adam and put in Christ. So, let's just do this. We'll start with my sweet wife. When she came to know Christ, she was taken out of Adam and put in Christ. This is Quentin. It's Leah. Jeremy. Billy Graham. Every human being, whenever they give their life to Jesus Christ, you know, throughout the Bible, we see the words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is you. In Christ. Jared, this is you. In Christ. Finally, we get to me in Christ. The good news is that the gift of righteousness is more powerful than the power that came from being born in Adam. And Romans 5.16 says again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The, the judgment followed one sin, brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now, if you grew up in church, you, you say, amen, praise the Lord. This scripture means that when we die, we get to go to heaven. Hallelujah. And, and I think Paul would say, well, wait a minute. That's true. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Rather, Paul is addressing our problem of I want to do good, but all I do is mess up and mess up and, and mess up. And in this verse, Paul is saying, I have some amazing news about your problem, but moving from in Adam to in Christ is not just about going to heaven someday. It's about today. It's about now. It's about no longer being a slave to sin in this life. And in verse 17 it says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, righteousness reign in life? And so this is not just in heaven. This is not just one day when I'm all perfect and have angels' wings and, and have a beautiful voice and look like I did when I was 16. That still wasn't very good and all. Paul is saying that life in Christ on earth now, today, is more powerful than the power of sin that we got from being in Adam. Well, he wraps this up. Verse 18, he says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, 
You know, Adam's sin was condemnation for all men. So also the result of one act of righteousness, that is Jesus dying on the cross, breaking the power of sin, was justification that brings life for all men. So Adam did something wrong and it created a problem that we inherited. Jesus did something right and it's more powerful than what Adam did. Adam did one thing and it resulted in condemnation for all. Jesus did another thing that provided a way for us, not just simply to go to heaven, but it empowers us to live a new kind of life, life in Christ. Again, if you read the New Testament, you continually see the words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So before we stop here today and pick this up next week, let me put this all in a nutshell for you to take home. What Paul was essentially saying is this, and I pray that God will really help us to understand this. If your approach to the Christian life is every night having to say, Jesus, forgive me of my many sins. You know, I told a little lie. I showed a bad attitude. I, I, I said a bad word. I lusted. So God, forgive me of those sins. And, and, and now I'm going to try my hardest to do better. And, and I'm going to try hard to do what you want me to do. And I'm going to be more disciplined. If that's your approach to serving God, I think Paul would say this. I think he would say good luck but you've still got your problem because it was from this very standpoint that Paul wrote with great frustration why can't I do the right things that I want to do you know I try and I try and I try and I, I ask forgiveness of my sins and, but I keep failing why can't I stay away from doing the bad things I don't want to do and so I think Paul would tell us instead of just dealing with our sins you know sin is a verb and You know, God, forgive me of my sins, my lying, my lusting, my whatever. And we need to do that. I believe it's important. That's part of the Christian walk. But Paul would tell us to also deal with the sin as a noun. Deal with sin, the thing, the power, the nature. The King James Version refers to it as the old man. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to flesh this out even more and You know what, Paul gives some amazing news, and when we finally reach, when we finally reach Romans chapter 7, verse 25, I think you're going to want to do a victory dance, because God's Word is so awesome. I can hardly wait for next week. Here's the last thing before we go. Here's your assignment for the week. Are you ready? At some point, I want you to go up to a complete stranger, and here's what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them, you are an ungodly sinner. Complete stranger. And maybe that will open the door for you to invite them to church next week. Or it may actually open the door for you to make an early entrance into heaven because they just took you out. But truly, here's your assignment. Would you just pray? that God would begin to do a work in us today. And I'm not saying that we need to just get away from asking forgiveness of our sins because we do and there will be those sins that will pop up. But I'm talking about what Paul was talking about, being a slave to to habitual sins, continually being chained up to that sin. Could we just pray and ask God to begin to 
help us to no longer be slaves. As Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 6 says, could we really do some praying? You know, I, I, I'm serious. It's taken me a year for me to come to this point of saying, okay, it's time. But could we just really pray that God would begin to do a work and that we could live a victorious life, be more than conquerors, overcomers through Christ Jesus? And I, I, I just believe that God is going to do some amazing things. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the hope that you give. Lord, whenever we get to Romans chapter 7, verse 25, I don't know if I'm going to be able to contain myself because there's such great news of victory there. And so, Lord, as we kind of just seek your will, as we pray this week, and God, we don't want to uh, just go off on the deep end and believe that we'll maybe live lives of perfection, never struggle with sin. That's not what the Apostle Paul was talking about, but he was talking about no longer being a slave to those habitual, continual sins. Father, would you just kind of break those chains that are holding us, that are keeping us bound to those sins? So, Lord, uh, thank you again for your presence. You're an amazing God. Thank you for your word. And, Lord, just really be real to us this week. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.